Tuesday. I was going to say good Tuesday, but we're all in a little bit of shock. Number one, ETSU football ended uh, this past weekend. Not forever, just that, that sounded very – not the way I meant that. Just the season. Uh, and the magical run was cold over. Sweats if you start saying I know. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, and then, uh, of course, yesterday, the news of Randy Sanders' retirement and a little bit of everything. So it is Tuesday. It's obviously good because we're here. We always like to be here. Um a day later, it was not on purpose, and I've had people already send me, well, yeah, no wonder you waited to do the pod. I'm like, no, we had a lot going on yesterday. Mike was gone doing a game when we would actually be recording the podcast, and then uh, we knew we had the coaches show transition into Monday, and there was a press conference. We knew that, but did did not know. I cannot stress this enough when people kept saying, oh, when did you really know? I, I, I can't tell you. He stood in my doorway and talked to me two hours before the announcement and didn't say a word. So I did not know. Then after it was over, and I got off air, and I was cutting highlights and post-game comments from, from Coach Harris in the women's game yesterday, then he came in and kind of walked me through all of it and then admitted, like, hey, that Wednesday coaches show, like I, I stayed around for a while. I wanted to say something then. I just couldn't. And then I was hanging around your office this morning, and I wanted to give you a heads up, but I, I just, you know, I, I didn't tell many people, and obviously he didn't. He didn't tell the players and coaches until, you know, a few hours before. And like, the only people that knew were Scott Carter and Dr. Nolan. And the reason they knew is because they offered him a new contract. And it was, a, according to Coach Sander, a healthy, very good contract. Um, would one that if he was going to coach would have been signed in no time flat. But because he had already made a decision in his mind in April that – he was going to hang it up, and he has not, you know, changed that position. Even with the run that ETSU had, that this this was it. This was going to be it. And so he said he couldn't leave them hanging and say, "Well, let me get back to you." Uh, he thought he needed to be respectful. But other than Scott Connor and Doctor Nolan, I don't, I don't believe in his family. I don't believe anybody else knew until yesterday, the the Monday before we recorded today being Tuesday. So we'll get to that because we got a lot to talk about. First, I want to talk about the game, celebrate football, celebrate the season, talk about North Dakota State. Then we'll get into full um, Randy Sanders retirement stuff. Then we're going to have a little bit of fun. Uh, future ETSU football, if you will. Future it, football. It'll start out serious. And I'm going to slowly walk you down a path that no, is going to devolve wait. into chaos. Okay, okay. And that's what you do. 
That is who you are. That's what uh, I aim to do. And then we got yeah. bold recap, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bold recap, okay, which is yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be so funny. Yeah, I cannot wait. I mean, not for our this week predictions. Those are actually extremely sad because, obviously, they were looking like they were going to be a lot of positives for ETSU, and it was going to be this joyous, momentous, victorious occasion. And the long-term ones that we'll get to are – those are pretty funny. So, yeah. Let's preview what's ahead. I don't know how they're funny. Well, if I start oh, thinking about it. You'll okay. find out along with the – I feel uh, like this is not going to go good for me if this is going to be – Well, it's about the if, only thing that hasn't gone good for you. If, it, if it's funny for you, yes. it's probably – okay, that's yes, not good, good for me. Good All right, uh, i got to try not to think about that as we go through this. Well, let's talk about North Dakota State game. I thought um, talking with, with your favorite radio host from Bison 1660, Keith Brake, yes. um, I had talked to him and laid out what I thought a few things would have to happen for ETSU to win. Number one – I thought the linebackers and secondary couldn't be overmatched. And honestly, they weren't. I didn't see anything that showed me ETSU's linebackers and secondary was overmatched whatsoever. The second thing, I said ETSU has to take advantage of the opportunities they'll be given. Point, they fake a punt, they get the first down, but then they get zero points. So not taking advantage. They get a fourth down stop. They don't take advantage. So... I think they had opportunities. Will Huzzy's rare drop down the sideline. I mean, there's just – they had opportunities. The other flip side of that is I says, have to hope that North Coast State makes mistakes. And they did. They had three drop passes on third down. They had a penalty that backed them up and got them out of scoring range. They got stopped on fourth down. There were a few things. They had obviously the, the, the punt that hit off the guy's helmet. ETSU did get points off that. But overall, Bucks didn't take advantage of that. And then sort of my fourth thing was the trenches. And really you can say four and five because you don't see how the offensive line do versus defensive line. And then knowing that Timmy Dorsey, and I, I didn't tell Keith, uh, not that I felt like Keith was going to go blab or would matter, but I, I just didn't tell him that there were going to be a couple of guys out on the defensive line and certainly how they handled now. Trench warfare was the biggest difference in the game. I, I think I said on the podcast, if you go back and listen to it before the game, you cannot tell size and speed by tape, I think. Unless you've done this for an absurd amount of time and you're a scout and you do whatever, sure. But I think it's very difficult on, at least it has been for me doing this, you know, 20 years in the basketball side. Unless it's jump off the page. Yeah. Top level athleticism. Like the, right. If Christian Watson sure. was, the, and I touted him before I said that, I thought he, he's the best pro prospect I've seen all year as far as a skill position person for anybody. But when they don't play, North Coast State didn't play any like opponents, it's very hard to tell some things. And so the speed factor, now again, I know Watson didn't play, but the speed factor was not a factor, I thought, in the game against North Dakota State. The size factor was a difference, and certainly the strength and size of the line was a difference. That being said, I'm looking at average scores of what NDSU has done in the past, and I only went back five years, and took out South Dakota State because they've had, and not nothing at South Dakota State, just they've had success winning, looking at the rest of the league, and where ETSU falls in line with that, and then I don't think there's an argument that 
everyone that was touting, well, that just proves the SOCON and ETSU didn't belong there because of the score. Well, if you use the score of the rest of the Missouri Valley, neither does the rest of Missouri Valley. <laughs> so that's my argument. Like, South Dakota State, there are tribals been able to win. And, yes, I know there's been a couple teams that have picked them off for the last four or five years. But if you look at their average games in their building versus like opponents, the Missouri Valley, ETSU is right in line with and better than most, actually, if you look at some of the numbers. So I thought it was a great showing. I thought they were just outmanned, outclassed in, in, in the lines. And that's nothing to be ashamed about because that's basically where North Dakota State has made its headway. I mean, again, the University of Minnesota touted the day we left that they had flipped, or the day before we left, they had flipped an offensive lineman from North Dakota State. And that shows you what type of quality linemen they're getting Big Ten, Big 12 linemen to shun Big Ten, Big 12 schools and go and win national championships at FCS. And that is the honest-to-goodness difference. The quarterback play, they did not have a Carson Wentz. They did not have a Trey Lance. They did not have any of that. They did have a pro receiver that didn't play. They did have a tight end who was going to declare for the draft that had an injury that's so severe that he's going to have to miss a full season so he will not be able to declare for a draft. And so they did play without two key guys. I get that. I'm not taking that away from them, but the quarterback play that they've had there is not what they have been used to over the last probably previous five to six years. And I thought North Dakota State missed Noah Gindorf, the tight end you're talking about, and Christian Watson. I mean, there were a number of drops that if this game was closer in terms of ETSU's offense being able to do anything at all against NDSU's defense, that really could have hurt the bias. And unfortunately for ETSU, uh, that wasn't the case, and those drops ended up not hurting. But boy, two or three times. You could point to them throughout the game, and you just saw that if they had their top-level receivers out there, pass catchers out there, that that would be something else that would maybe separate where this game was. Um, Regardless of if they're out there or not, I I 100% agree. This was not the completely lopsided, doors blown off, completely shocked to be there, overwhelmed beyond any kind of possible explanation. I didn't think it was anything close to that. And even going up to the fourth quarter, there were chances. You mentioned the fake punt. Now, I do want to talk about that since we're breaking down the game, right? I did not think the choice to kick the field goal was the right one. It was a 0-0 game, 55 yards away, would have been a school record. Granted, it's in a dome, and you don't play in domes um, really. I'm not sure the last time the ETS would have played in a dome that was not their own really have no idea. I tried to go through my memory banks when I was here. I know there was nothing. Then I look back the couple of years before that, I don't think there was anything. And then you'd have to go all the way back to 2003. I'm just not sure what the alignment around FCS right, in terms yeah, of yeah. domed or uh, open Off, off the was. top of my head, that is correct. <laughs> right. I do not. So it is a different set of circumstances, but if you miss it, then there's that momentum flip. There's a short field for NDSU. Now, I also understand, I think, where Coach Sanders was coming from. And he mentioned this post game with you. You get the big play, and you and me talked about this on the show on Thursday. Was there going to be some out-of-the-ordinary stuff that Randy Sanders called because he knew that the Bucks would have to get a lot of things to go their way, and he knew that NDSU was so good specifically defensively, and it turned out on special teams too, right? Um, at least that's how it was assessed, that there would have to be an extra effort above and beyond, and they're so good that if you just stick to your keys, they're going to completely ruin everything you do. And there was. You called it right in the moment. I don't know how you remembered it, but you call, recalled it right in the moment. The first fake punt in the Randy Sanders era, and as it will turn out, the only fake punt in the Randy Sanders era. 
And he said post-game, you know, we got that fake punt. I just felt like we needed points. And I think the thought process there is, well, you pull off an incredible thing. How can you come up empty? How demoralizing is that going to be? And I get that side of it, too, so I have a hard time getting too critical about that. Um, so you have that. And, of course, the fourth down stop in the third quarter and then the interception, that's the one that everyone will point to right away and say, well, the game is over at that point. But even later in the contest, you get your only sack of the game from Jared Folks right after your only points of the game on the field goal after the good break on the bounce off the helmet of the blocker on the punt. And you got good field position after the punt from NDSU after the three and outs. You get the sack, then it's the three and out from NDSU, and then you get the punt. And you get it there 37, and then you're sacked. It was just time and again, NDSU was able to answer the call. And that, again, was, you know, beginning of the fourth quarter. Am I saying that if the Bucks could have gone and gotten a touchdown to make it 20 to 10 with like nine, 10 minutes left in the fourth instead of having another three and out after the sack of Rydell, uh, that they would have gone on to win the game? Not necessarily. No. Uh, I think that would be a gargantuan effort, a huge hill to climb. But I'm at least saying that you had a chance that late in the game to put some pressure. What does Steve Forbes always say? Uh, was it time and score pressure or time and situation pressure, whatever it was? Yeah, he would always say score pressure. Score pressure. So you have that with you know a conceivable They're amount of time used to come to back it. in. Yeah. So you had chances even late to maybe force them into not being able to just coast to the finish, and you weren't able to take advantage of it. And that was unfortunate, but – it was, I think, encouraging in the fact that they put NDSU at different times into some situations that I'm not sure that they were necessarily used to or that any team could just go and navigate. Now, NDSU did because their defense absolutely lived up to the billing. Um, I mean, you and me talked about on the show in our breakdown of all the losses for NDSU, the very few that there have been over the last 11 years what needed to happen, and you had to have a big day from either Quay or Jacob. You had to have, if you weren't going to get that, a 300-yard day from Tyler Rydell, and you saw what NDSU was able to do to the running game. 29 of the Bucks, 66 yards, came on two runs. 23 carries, 37 yards the other runs, and then Tyler obviously did not have his best day. Um, that defense is extremely impressive. There's no question, and I think there's some positive to take of at least you didn't go in and shoot yourself in the foot and beat yourself it was just that one team was better that game in my opinion and that also is kind of a sad thing right because ETSU was so great the entire year but NDSU uh, give them credit because they definitely were what they were thought to be on that day and it was good to see where ETSU stacked up I thought that the, the showing is great I know that uh, Craig Haley, who hates everything uh, Southern Conference and ETSU, even didn't even put uh, Randy Sanders in the top five. How about that? So I know he hates everything and refuses. I, he must have. He has to pull for like a Big Ten, Big Twelve team that has been shunned by Southern teams or something. I, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get what the why he's the only one that refuses. But he did put out at halftime. I was flipping through Twitter that it was very impressive that ETSU was nothing, nothing after the first quarter because of how dominant NDSU has been in the opening quarter. And then he mentioned something again at halftime about how ETSU was, was hanging in there. Then, of course, he flipped it from there. Well, but I don't know about you, but I, I didn't necessarily think, while well, the score can say one thing and maybe the game flow dictates another, I thought 0-0 was pretty representative of how the game was going at that point. Yeah, I think it was a good stalemate, uh, I mean, in, in all honesty. And then ETSU 
second start of the second quarter, that's where things you've got the um, the fake punt right, and you got going. I think the only thing about the punt that I felt or the field goal attempt that I felt good about was watching um, Keltner kick in that dome. I don't know what it was. I know Coach brought up the tight turf, and the, I don't right. understand, I don't stand, understand any of that, but. I mean, I watched him kick 58 yarders with plenty of distance, and so I didn't feel bad about that. And I know Coach said he likes to, as we've learned, he likes to hang on to timeouts and go to the locker room with like a thousand timeouts, which I don't get. But I, I just thought if his theory was, and I didn't know that his theory was you had to get points. I didn't know that till afterwards. But when you have to get points, I didn't understand why not a timeout there, right. especially when Nate Atkins uh, uh, ran out because he thought the punt team came on. And because there's so many guys on both teams, right, um, he saw some of the guys that are on the punt team, he ran off, all of a sudden, oh, geez, i got to run back on, and then you had to try to hurry. And I felt like, obviously, that threw off the timing because I do think you, you get a timeout. And even if he had a uh, – you would have more time to say, no, let's go ahead and punt it. Or you have more time to set up. But if you did get points on the board there, I just felt like because of the fake punt, because of the momentum, that was huge. Now, what happened was exactly what you said. You could just feel the different energy in the building, and then, bam, I go right down and slam it in. I was shocked they went for two, and they must have saw something on film and alignment or just Ents trying to just say, by gosh, we're better than you, and then he got stuffed and then noticed that they never chased points after that. Uh, they didn't need to, but in the same token, like that was very odd, and I think a statement from ETSU's defense of, yes, you just pounded it right down the field and scored, but you can't get two or three yards, and so we are going to be able to make stops. And ETSU did make stops, not enough of them, and I think it came down to depth in the defensive line. I mean, if you just think about the defensive line the last couple of years, everybody that they have missed, and not I'm not talking about – like you missed a Sear player. I'm talking about like there's been times we've only rotated four guys. Well, let's go ahead and go over them. So okay. you had Juwan Ross from Old Dominion that transferred in, who put up some pretty impressive stats on a team that didn't win a game the year he was there, which makes it that much tougher. He had nothing around him. And he only played one game in the spring and then was no longer on the team. You obviously didn't have Timmy Dorsey this game, and that really hurt. You can see how much it was going to hurt when they played Kennesaw State without Dorsey in the last, whatever it was, two and a half quarters against the Owls, and they got a lot of what they wanted on the ground without him. Um, obviously, Austin Lewis, you are counting on coming into this year, a transfer from an FBS school that has had success. And, and so you're absolutely right. Those are the first three that come to mind, and feel free to throw in others, but those are the three where I'm just like, ah, oh. some of it's bad luck, right? A couple of injuries. The Juwan Ross thing, I'm not sure what exactly happened. Um, but I did talk to Billy Taylor pretty early on in the season, and he said, you know, Defense is playing really good, and I was, you know, heaping praise upon the defense, saying, gosh, you're doing such a great job, so on and so forth. It's like, long-term, I'm worried about the defensive line. And it didn't really show up a ton throughout the year until, obviously, it had that caliber of opponent across from it. I think other than the question marks over the last three years at quarterback, and granted, this year they were cool because of how good Rydell was, but there was still, like, even after Vanderbilt, even after the first couple home games, you get in the league play until Sanford, I think, then people start like, yeah, Maybe you got something here with the kid, right? Other than that, I think D-line's always, for some reason, there seems to be, whether it's injuries or guys leaving or they just can't seem to have a solid six- to nine-man rotation. And that's the one thing that North Dakota State, they rotated 
12 guys. They had three different line changes. And it showed because in certain situations, you know, after basically they play two plays, you rotate them out. They play two plays, you rotate them out. And ETSU doesn't go fast. They don't do a lot of things with, with tempo. And so you're, you're allowed – plus ETSU subs on almost every play, so you're going to be allowed to sub as well. But when they got fresh guys on these third and shorts, you'd see the backside pressure. It wasn't even the frontside guys. Sometimes it's like, okay, we're just going to all slant to the right and just hope that, you know, all you got to do is cut in front of the guy. Well, then we'll most, most add on two different occasions – just beat everybody to the slant from the backside, and everybody front side was blocked up when it got you a first down. But when a, you know, by the time you hand off a ball and the running back takes one step and he gets hit from behind, doesn't even know a guy's there, it's very difficult to convert. And that's where North Dakota State is why they're one of the best, if not the best, for the past decade. They were the best in the past decade, but why they're always, if not the best, one of the best year in and year out. So I, I thought throw it was still two, I would throw in two pass catchers in that group of defensive linemen, quarterback, and Randy Sanders harped on it his first couple of years. Now, Will Hussey oh, obviously sure. had a breakout year, but would throw that into pass catchers and having those weapons on the outside. But I think you're right. That was just what I was thinking of while I was waiting for you to finish up so I could jump in on the defensive line was, goodness, obviously quarterback, but Austin Herrick made some big plays, took him to a, you know, I mean, quarterback, if you're able to get to an FCS playoff, they have to get some kind of credit right, and Tyler Idell has been very good this year. But goodness, consistently, outside of a this-year player, right, there has not been a lot of playmakers up front. Jason Maduapakwa obviously had his moments too, and Jalen Porter has had his moments this year in the way that a linebacker that's converted to a defensive lineman some of the time can have his way. They, they his just moments. have uh, – they've had a hard time, especially at such an important position at nose guard they want to play. I know Trey – well, what about Tremont Farrell? Okay, well, Tremont Farrell, but then Chris Boyer was in and out, then you had a couple other guys that were in and out. You know, Austin Rowan was in and out. So they just have had – they really, I think, if ETSU, assuming, and we'll get in the search and all this other stuff later, but assuming there's not mass exodus from from people, then if they could just bring in a couple more defensive linemen, plus you get Austin Lewis back, right, then, you know, you're going to lose Elijah Pinkleton. But, you know, can Rodney Wright get better? Can Devin Brantley get better? Max Evans, I thought, has been phenomenal. But they end up having to move Max Evans in that game from – you know, sort of the weak side end to nose guard. Well, he's 245 pounds. Right. So you go 245, and he, he's – as a matter of fact, he made two, two, two plays in the Kennesaw State game, which were phenomenal game-changing plays. But he made it from the end position. He made it from nose guard. I mean, I think that's a difficult ask of Max Evans. I guess one of the so, best offensive lines consistently in the country. <laughs> so it's just – I think if you wanted to look at the game and as ETSU fans, not as – the country where it's like, ah, I just lost like everybody else. If you looked at it, I think logically the, the two areas that were glaring were the offensive and defensive line. And it was tough for Tyler Rodell, who was A, running for his life a lot. You know, I, I think that was the other thing. And, and North Coast State blitzed more than they have shown. And I think it was because they realized, hey, if we can – get on Rydell a little quicker, don't let the longer routes develop, then Huzzy and those guys can't hurt you. And I think ETSU did do some damage on some short routes, but they really didn't have a lot of time for any of the play action, you know, developing passes. Plus, it was a tough go because Sailors and Holmes were being hit almost immediately when they got the handoff, and that's how you stop running backs, right? You get that penetration, you don't let them get downhill, and I thought it was was just a tough day. The offensive and defensive lines – 
and that's taking nothing away from what the offense defensive line have been able to do all year. It's just they ran into the gold standard of college football at our level. And that defensive line and that defense in general were the best that they had been during this run against the run. 83.6 yards per game allowed. Best of the last decade. And their third down defense lived up to the billing too, right? I think ETSU was 3-14. That was something that the Bucks did so well all year long. Like That was one of the things coming into the year that separated, as it turns out, ETSU from excelling offensively like they did this year, best offensive year by all accounts in program history, whether you look at stats or whether you just look on paper. Before, they hadn't converted at more than a 40% clip on third down throughout a year, and then they were like 10% above that for a lot of the year. I mean, it was a drastic difference, and so to hold ETSU to 3 of 14 on third down was huge, and now this gets back to our old conversation, and I didn't think this year at any point we'd have to have the conversation, but it was the first and second downs a lot of the times, right? And then you're in third and completely unmanageable. And so it was really the combination of, you know, what's happening in early downs, then you're in third down, and uh, how the heck are you going to get this, right? And so NDSU's defense was spectacular. And the Bucks, we talked about, they did get a couple of breaks. They put it on the ground a couple of times, didn't lose those fumbles, right? The weird bounce off the helmet of the blocker on the punt, um, you got that carom. And then there were a few false starts on NDSU. You know, you had the stat throughout the game of, well, opponents have false started this many times in the Fargo Dome, and it ended up that NDSU false started more than ETSU did. Um, Which I thought was genius. They have not seen, apparently, the Billy, the Billy Taylor late line shift. Right. Where the defensive line will just move a, a gap over or whatever. That got two false starts. And I think I'll put the bow from my end of it on this season this way in terms of what the Bucks accomplished. And we can talk more about it at some point. Um, but this game, to me, doesn't take away from what they did. If it would have been like a 52-3 to loss and NDSU would have been able to blow it open when they were able to recover a fumble that they ended up not getting on that day, right? Say that a fumble ended up in their hands and, you know, uh, fumble six. They go in and, and put up a defensive score and then the momentum's all on their side. Or honestly, if a few thousand more people would have showed up and the atmosphere would have gotten to ETSU and then people just – Say, hey, look at that rattled SoCon team, right? Like, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't hang. They couldn't compete. Um, if, you know, the offense for NDSU wouldn't have had those couple of drops, so on and so forth, um, there were a lot of things that ETSU did a great job in managing, specifically on the defensive side. Uh, and I'm glad if it was going to be a loss, it was a loss the way that it was because this team fought too hard, came too far, did too much to have an asterisk at the end and a perception that they were not worthy of the stage. This is a special group. It may be, and we can have this conversation too at some point, uh, maybe even today, um, the best team in program history. And for them to go down swinging, go down fighting, um, I thought it was a tremendous performance for what they were up against. I think it's... uh the ride was unbelievable. I kept saying it like you just want to live in the moment. You did, didn't want to think too much about where it ranked because that minute's over to me. Like, I, I you know, hey, where do we rank? What, what do you think? And a lot of people, I'm like, I just, right now we're just living in, man. We, we've got two ridiculous victories at home where pandemonium just reigned <laughs> supreme, right? You know, the, the way the Mercer game ended, the way Kennesaw State ended, 
you know, you're getting national attention, you're a national seed, you're a top eight team in America in a six-year-old program. I mean, it's just a lot that just stood out to me of everything that, uh, or seven-year program, whatever it is, that, that ETSU, you know, was able to accomplish. And, and just that goal and just to live in that moment, and there was nobody going to be able to take it away from me of how I felt watching this team. And then when you go over all the accolades and the records and, you know, uh, best single seat. I mean, don't, don't even think about four-year like Quay Holmes' career, but, you know, considering he shared with Jacob Sailors and you get two 1,000-yard rushers, you get over 1,500 yards from Quay. You get Tyler Rodell, one of the top three to four quarterback performances of the year. Who would have thought that? Then you look at, you know, just the touchdown – Yardage, which means you have to have catches, right? I mean, you have to have touchdown catches. Then you look at what the defense was able to do, what they're able to do in the red zone, the most points in school history. I mean, there's so many things that you could just point to and just what it was an unbelievable uh, season for the Bucks. And I think another week or two probably can dive and let sort of the dust settle. Um, short thought is, I mean, obviously there's three teams that, you know, because no offense to 2018, but the you know 2018 got bumped out. You think 69, you think 96, you think this team. I think 2018 was maybe the greatest story of oh, all four. The feel, the feel good of the program being back. It was 20, you know, it was four years old. They had had a coaching change. They're coming off four wins, and they just come rocking and rolling. I, I agree. I think it's the it, it's more of a storybook story than this season. Uh, yeah, I think if you were to write a movie about like what the you know following you know the Corey Colders and Austin Herricks and Austin Gatewoods for five years of what they came to what they were doing then to have success and then to win I think that is you know a, a storybook you know miniseries if you had to do like a, a a two hour special you may do it on just the end of the the Mercer and Kennesaw State season. Hmm. Uh, of this season, I should say, but I think certainly there. But I think you know the the one thing that would be difficult uh, that I would have to go back and really dive into the '96 Southern Conference was an absolute gauntlet of a league. That was the Missouri Valley. Now there were four teams. Um, I want to say it was '96. There were four teams that got. In. I'll look that up. But there were four teams that got into a 16-team playoff. Three for sure. It might have been four. I can't remember what year the four was. Either way, the difference being there was one team in 24 bids in the Southern Conference. Now, 96 did not beat East Carolina, although it played East Carolina tough. ETSU did beat Vanderbilt. And I would say that the East Carolina team would have probably been better than the Vanderbilt team. But that was a tough game. So there's a lot to sort of dive into. But still, the point total, the record total, just the the wins and then the win the playoff game to, again, um, to get to the, the final eight, which they did in 96. I mean, there's just a lot to, to factor in there. And then, of course, 69, you go back there, you look at the, the, uh, the undefeated year. They had the tie. You know, they did not have the playoffs. They had the bowl game. There's a – I mean, certainly top three, it could be tops. They did won 11 games. I mean, you add that into the, the mix as well. The national seed, certainly I think you can't discount because of being a top eight seed. Um, 
So there's a lot. We, I, yeah. we go, I, I don't want to – I think I need time yeah. to, to let the season settle, digest, and really do justice to all three. And I may literally go through 69, 96, and then give you that. But, again, to me that's a great thing. We're talking about, you know, is this season better than this? And a lot of people did that with the 30-4 and four team, right? Was it better than – you know the the Zaki and Gerald teams. Was it was it better than the the team that almost beat Pittsburgh? Was it better than Mister's teams, which has a win, which was ranked top ten in the nation at one point? So those are great conversations when, when we talk about that. Now I think you're just you know, sometimes I think you get a little overboard and, and and more players so when they're defending their era than I think the fans. But to me, when basketball, when you're debating on five or six teams, which is the greatest team. And football, you're debating on three, right? You've got to get more. You've got to get more football success. So the conversation isn't just three teams, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like ten teams you're talking about. Let's maybe table the deep dive into the greatest team ever. But tweeted yesterday, first team to beat three ranked opponents since 1996, first offense to score 400-plus points in a season for the program, second power five win, second playoff win, second trip to the FCS quarters, most points in a game since football's return, which happened twice this year, and then most wins in a season ever with 11. And I said there's a lot more. And then I heard Kevin Brown, who is, of course, you know, sports information, media relations extraordinary, has all the stats on everything. He gave me a list of like 30 or 40 today when he was talking to you and me. I mean, it was unbelievable the amount. And he said, he was like, you know, that's honestly probably a partial list. It was just the stuff that came to mind right away. So if that's a partial list, my list and then his list, the complete list, I feel like it would be hard to find statistically and accomplishments-wise a better team, but certainly I think the conversation does deserve a deep dive of 69-96 and then 2021 fall because um, those two teams accomplished a ton as well. Yeah, I think that that, that would be fun. I think the, the, the 69 when I need to do a deep dive just to fully understand the rest of the league for 96 – I knew what the league was like. Three made it in 96 and three in 95 as well. I couldn't find the four, but okay. I know it was three, and but, it was an impressive three. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, we'll, we can go over that a little bit later. Let's uh, When we come back, let's talk uh, Randy Sanders. He announced his retirement yesterday. Shocked everybody. We'll have our thoughts on that after this time out. Sanders sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee Lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fund. certainly was it was not not good news it was one of those i remember getting in your ear and giving you the hey uh by the way um 
You also make an announcement in a second uh, during the game that uh, Randy Sanders has retired. And you're, yeah. Uh, somebody dribbles the ball up the court. Uh, okay, uh, I, I just, I just got to do it now. Yeah. Like, there, there wasn't even a good – I mean, there's there was no – the the note to get the note and you get the note all at sort of the same time and be wow uh, how do we you know normally we'd be over the press conference and probably we've got a heads up ahead of time just for simple reason of what all kind of transpired and how many people were there and the important people were there that's always a sign didn't know all that till later and we're st- I'm stuck in the studio you're doing yeah. you know courtside but um, coach retired uh, basically. Um, I'll try to sum it up. He, during COVID, where he was at home a lot, started to turn into, like, you know, sitting half bad staying at home. You know, my wife still wants to be married to me. I'm talking and seeing my grandkids a lot. I'm just, I'm home. Something I've not done in 30 years. And then he got to the spring, and when the spring ended in April, he had a, basically had the thought I was going to do it then. And then driving to work, just thought, you know what? That's unfair to the kids. It's unfair to the coaches. It's unfair to the university. But he was ready to hang it up in April. And at that point, he basically told me he had made up his mind that it's going to be last year. And he had just told his family and wasn't going to tell anybody else. And then after Mercer, and he got the national seat a day or two later, the contract's laid out in front of him, as we said last segment. And then that's when he said, all right. I guess I'll go ahead and tell you now, but it, no matter what happened, if we would have won the thing or lost where we were or wouldn't have beat Mercer, it would. that, that was it. That was going to be it. And he said, I, I think the, the one thing that struck me was when he said, I slept like a baby or like a rock or whatever he said for two straight days, and to me, then that you're at peace. Like there's no having regret. Now, maybe when the fall turns around and the season, maybe he starts having the sweats or whatever. But I, I feel like after talking to him, you know, and having him explain to you uh, or to me, I guess, the why he did it, um, you know, I, I, I get it. I mean, it, you know, you get to a certain point. I mean, he's been good with money, so it's not, you know, he probably could have retired many years ago. To be honest with you, he probably could have retired up Florida State uh, because he's, he's lived very – frugal and within a means and, and not lavish and just, you know, so being able to retire, I know he's building a house, I think, out. Well, I probably shouldn't tell you where it's at, but it's at a lake. <laughs> just thought about that. <laughs> but it's at, you know, no shock he's going to live on a lake where he can, you know, drink morning coffee in a screened-in porch and then take the boat out later and go fishing. So that's uh, what he's going to do. I mean, he meant – I have I don't know. It's always amazing to see – coaches come in you can see coaches be here 20 years and 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 build and and have sort of that legendary status and then you can have somebody that that comes in and and honestly won three of the four years that they're here and and retire and people are already willing to put up a statue just shows you what he's meant to the football program and he took the job when it was not let's be honest not as desirable i mean it wasn't that it's not desirable there's only 250 some division one jobs if you do fbs and fcs it's not like the 350 in basketball but it's still like 250 or i don't know 278 or something so still under 300 jobs so it was desirable let's 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 don't kid anybody on that but now he's leaving it and if he's going to leave he left etsu in a much better spot where they're coming off you know certainly the seed they're coming off national tv they're coming off a quarterfinal there's a lot to be thankful for be happy for him and and we'll just have to 
wait and see where each issue goes on, on the next direction. Yeah, my inclination is, and we're going to actually put off talking about the coaching search until Thursday or Friday because we're already at like 40 minutes. And we got another basketball game tonight and so on and so forth. And let's be honest, the, this probably does deserve more time talking about his retirement, talking about the team. And so maybe Thursday we do like, uh, let's look at the historic nature of the season and then the coaching search with some fun stuff and then some serious stuff. And when it comes to Randy's retirement, I do want to give it its due because you're absolutely right. When he got the job, my inclination is probably that there were maybe a couple calls in to ETSU from people that maybe had some qualifications but weren't that top-notch candidate. And my thought this time around is, wow, a team coming off a national quarterfinal, a team that just set a school wins record, a team that just played in front of 1.77 million sets of eyeballs on ESPN at noon on Saturday against the top-level team at this level in the country uh, and put forth an effort that I think they can be proud of. It wasn't a winning effort, but an effort they can be proud of and showed that, you know, maybe they're just – couple of tweaks away on the line or offensively or whatever you surmise it to be. I'm not going to speculate on it. But here was my thought process when I heard. Firstly, you and me were talking between breaks, like every break, and we are just like, I don't even know what to say right now. I, how am I going to do this game? How are you going to do highlights? Like, I'm totally just in awe. This is crazy. And my first thought, and I'll work my way to a happier note, but my first thought was, geez, I hope he's okay. Like, Randy's a pretty private guy, right? And so you can't imagine that he would want to come out and say, look, here's everything that's going on with me medically. This is why I'm having to hang it up. Family's a perfect excuse to cover that, right? So that was my first thought. And a couple other people have speculated about that and I certainly do hope everything is all right with Randy. It's not a cover. Um, my second thought was, and this is maybe the cynical, cynicism, the cynical part of me, I think this is a move. He's 56. There's no way he can retire. Football coaches... I may be overstating it when I say rarely, but mid-50s, usually you got another at least five or ten left, and some go beyond that. I would have been, as I am, shocked to see him retire for real at 56 years old. Is there something in his contract where if he retires and then is either A, away for football for a certain amount of time, or if it's a straight retirement, can he just go on and do something else? You know, What's the deal there? And without knowing all that, I was able to just build this whole scenario in my mind, like, is it a move to say, you know what, I've accomplished everything I can here, there's nowhere to go but down, so I need out, but I don't want to owe the university or whatever, and then I'm going to go take a FBS job, not a Power 5, maybe a Group of 5 job as a head coach, and whatever, the money will be a wash, right? Um, and we could sit and speculate all day. What turned my thought process on it and what made me believe that this was the real deal is, I think he mentioned in his press conference, that he – at some point when he was at Kentucky, made some kind of basically plan financially moving forward, right? And he wanted to retire by 55. And he wanted to be able to have enough money to guarantee that he could do that. And he talked about in the press conference perspective. And with you last night on the coaches show, perspective. And having grandkids change my perspective. And maybe you talked about COVID. That was one of the big eye-opening things. Just like, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I haven't been able to do this ever. In my adult life, I have not been able to sit back, have bourbon, have a cigar, not worry about 
do yeah. holiday things like yeah. you know, Halloween with the kids and I Thanksgiving. Have, I don't have to worry about being in the office to make sure my 120 kids are not doing stupid stuff around campus, you know, whatever. Um, the, the pressure was just a bit more off, obviously, in the fall when football was moved from fall to the spring. And, you know, it was kind of just that holding pattern. And he was able to have a little bit of freedom. Maybe that was it. But when I heard the, you know, been planning for this for a while. And, and I think Randy's a pretty genuine dude to begin with. Uh, that kind of won me over, and again, I may end up being wrong. Uh, my instinct could be right at some point. Maybe he does get back into coaching. Maybe he, as you mentioned, just sits back and says, eh, fall doesn't feel quite right. You know, I, I got to go do something in football. Um, maybe he'll get bored. Who knows? Like, I know I would be. You know, he's, if you look at averages, I mean, the man's got at least another quarter century on this earth. Like, I get bored after 25 days, let alone 25 years of not <laughs> coming in and doing something. Um, but, you know, his perspective and the fact that it sounded like he had been planning for this for a long time kind of won me over, swayed me, and um, I'm glad to not have that thought anymore of, geez, I, I hope it's nothing medical. You know, I'm taking Randy at his word, and I'm really happy for him. It, it's terrible for the program, but that's not really his concern. Nothing more for him to have on his shoulders. He did his job. I think it's tough to get mad if people leave you in a better spot. And that doesn't matter if it's Ed DeCellis leaving ETSU to go to Penn State, whether it's Steve Forbes going to Wake Forest. When they left, they left. Teams going to the tournament, a lot of bodies that can play, and it's, it's a good situation. Randy Sanders leaves to retire with a lot of, uh, obviously, key pieces if they stay. We'll get over that in a minute. But, I mean, a lot of winning tradition and fan base and everything. So to me, it's hard um, if somebody wants to better themselves, whether it's job financially or whether it's, you know, mental health and time to go do something else, Uh, you know, just just step away from the game. And so I think that's the – that's all you can ask for, right? They came in, they made something better, they made the best situation, and they were all in, you know, it wasn't like Coach Sanders had one foot out the door, you know, he came in. There were plenty of people, I'm sure, that would have talked to him about a job. He was very open and honest about, hey, I want to live in a certain area. I want to have a certain lifestyle, and there's only certain jobs I would go for. Then it was like talk of, would you be back going to the coordinator? No. What I found out is when guys become their own boss, it's tough for them to go back and not be the boss. Right. And so uh, unless they don't have a job and they need a job, then for the most part, you know, they would rather stay where they're at or look for another head job than go back to being sort of second fiddle. And that's at most coaches, and I don't know if that's just everything in life, right? I mean, even if you run a small business, would you rather go work for somebody else or, or, or wait till you can run a, a larger business? So I, I think it threw everybody off. I think it's tough not to be happy for them. I think it's tough not to try to enjoy – the four years we did have and the impact he's made on the community. I think it was kind of funny. He said, you know, I always knew, you know, sort of Tennessee was a big part of my life. And, and when I came here to be the head coach Buccaneer, I, I, you know, I would be lying to you if I thought I would be a buck for life. But he says, I kind of feel like I'm always going to be a Buccaneer. And I think because he was the head guy here and he can truly look at something and go, I mean, did I help build it or did I build it? You know, and, and obviously he had help. It wasn't just Coach Sanders. But still – he had such a monumental impact. Um, and three of the four years, 
you're talking about co-champions, a game off, game or half game off championship because of COVID. Then you're talking about overall championship nationally and all that. You only have the 2019 with about a thousand injuries and everything that that kind of went wrong. But three of his four years were unbelievable years. He's able to go out on top. And Desmond Oliver said this last night. You and me talk about it at nauseum and having known head coaches for a long time like you have, and to the extent that I have, the old line that you know you're getting fired clock or you're, you know, your clock's ticking right when you sign the contract, right? It, you're very rarely going to be able to go out on your own terms. And, and Desmond Oliver sounded very envious of that last night when he was talking about Coach Sanders before he joined on the coaches so, show. Like, I mean, how often can you say you had this kind of success and you're walking away, head held high, shoulders back? Like, th- there's not a lot else you could have done. And I know Coach Sanders wanted to win the national championship, and that was the thing that he said last night that he regrets. Wanted to get it done, planned on getting it done, and doesn't like the fact that, in fact, hates the fact that they couldn't when he was here. But it should be some form of calm, peace, solace that he takes from this, knowing that he is piece number two in this whole thing, and he has left this program so much better off. And he gave Coach Torbush and everybody their due and said, look, they did their thing. Right? There was further to go. We had to do our thing. And they did their thing. Like, imagine in 2017, the last game of the year was Chattanooga, right? 10-3 loss, where Austin Herrick got almost torn limb from limb on the football field in a game that really didn't matter a whole lot. And it was incredible at that time to think that ETSU was going to go and find another coach that could step in and have any success at all and take it to the next step. And then the very next year, right? And 2019 could have gone any which way because all the one-score games, and you can say that about 2018 too, but there was some other stuff going on there in terms of just the miraculous nature of the way that came together and the timing and the players and the hunger and just the whole full-circle way that things went down for that group that took the Bucks to a championship. And then, yeah, 2021 spring, damn near got there, and then you do get there this year and you go to the quarterfinals – so much progress was made in that time. And, no, he didn't meet his last goal and go to the national championship, win the national championship. But he's left the program in a place where the next coach can do that. And he may, if that does happen, not get credit for it. But as very few coaches do that leave a program um, and the next guy comes in and wins. What was it Rick Pitino at was it Kentucky? And then Tubby Smith came in. And won the championship that first year yeah. after. Or was it reversed? I can't remember. I think it was Tubby won. No, it's Patino's players. Right. Yeah, Tubby won. Yeah. And so Patino didn't get a lot of credit for that. Tubby has made a career off that. Um, but you know as the coach that you laid that foundation. Now, foundation's going to look a lot different as we transition to kind of the aftermath. We already knew on senior day it was celebrated with Karan DeLance, Blake Pockworth, Lajuan Pinkleton. Quay was out there. Of course, we knew he could come back. Tyree Robinson, Jared Folks. Draymond Shorts, Colton Lakes, and Malik Murray. Shorts had the extra year as well. So on the coach's show, when I posted when you were gone, Coach Sanders said, I think the only ones that can come back are Quay and Draymond. Now, I don't have the eligibility for all of them stacked in front of me, but that seemed correct when I went back and looked at it. And you see that Quay is going to the draft, which I don't blame him at all. He can't accomplish anything else on this level. Everything. You're, you're only risking everything you've already done going up a level. Say you don't play, say you don't perform. Like, this is – Iron at its hottest, go try and strike. And Traymon, I love what he's doing, 
because it makes him look like the greatest offensive lineman in the history of the world. He's got offers from like half of FBS after putting his name in the portal yesterday. Yeah, Colorado just came out a few seconds ago. So <laughs> yeah. it's seriously like one every yeah, five minutes. Yeah. It's incredible. So um, you knew those two were that that was the situation. Pretty right? much said, yeah. Depending on and again, it's the way you just need to get over it. People the transfer portals here, people are gonna do it. Then when you get a coaching change, no matter what happens, there'll be a few more. I mean, it's just sort of the nature of the beast. Even even if, you know, again, probably somebody screaming, like, well, what if you hire within? There's still going to be that because there, there are players who are going to believe that Coach X or Y didn't like me that was already here, so he's not going to like me if he's the head guy, so they're going to move on. And there's going to be people that come in and may go in the portal immediately because they're like, yeah, I just don't think that's going to be a spot for me or didn't like the initial meeting. Or they go through a spring and then think, yeah, this isn't for me. And still go. So there's, there's a lot to – to figure out there, and and we're running out of time in today's show, so I'm kind of curious. Well, let's touch on Donovan because that was and the then other Don, and one. yes, and and I'll say I'll say this: Tremont had his paperwork in before the um, retirement thing. So, and again, he walked. He told everybody yeah. his plan. He was honest about it. Donovan Manuel was the first domino that has fallen since the announcement. Unless I missed somebody today, I think he's the only one I've seen. So, again, that doesn't mean he's gone. It just means he's put his name in there, and we'll see what happens. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, he is someone, we talk about Tremont, like, he's got the size, the ability, the success to go up to the next level and help a team and get some NFL draft looks. I honestly thought he could probably declare this year and get some looks. Um, but he wants to do one more year here, prove it at a higher level, um, makes a ton of sense, you know, in college football, um, being the here that I'm discussing. If he can go and do some impressive things like he did here, that's only going to raise his stock. And Donovan, he's got – couple of years left right and, and this is about the time in a career where a lot of guys will test the waters if they have ripped apart opponents as donovan Manuel has here at etsu uh i think he's got a great chance to go somewhere else and contribute and get some looks at the pro level and i'm really happy for him that he's going to do that um, i think he was one of the eight all-americans that came out today so he's a three-time all-american freshman sophomore and now this honor as well um he's the total package it's a Killer for the Bucks. You have the nine that are gone: Dylan Spockreth, Pickleton, Holmes, Robinson, Folk, Schwartz, Lakes, and Murray. And then if you add Manuel, yeah, that's not a lot of people, but the quality of individual and the quality of player that that is is off the charts. Off the charts. He was one. Remember, that's one of the few I've nailed that I saw one day in practice. And I came in here and I said, "Hey, man, that that, that guy is going to be a stud." Now. I probably told Mike Gallagher about six other people that didn't work out, but that, that, that was one of them that I happened to get right because he, he just jumped off the page. And, again, if he's able to go to a, a, a situation that could help him um, in life reach a goal of playing professionally and going in to earn some money, again, it's tough to – if he, if he manages to um, transfer to somebody within the league or something, then, yeah, I, I would be upset and be like, what, what, what are you doing? Or – you know, a, a comparable FCS team, uh, you know, not you know, because North Dakota State or something like, oh, okay. But, I mean, if he goes to, you know, a school that I think most people wouldn't see as a a step up or anything, I think that that would be hurtful. But if he steps up and plays at a power five, he steps up and plays at, you know, North Dakota State or, or uh, you know, just goes up the road to, to Appalachian State or something, it'd be, it'd be tough not to be happy for him and say, all right, man, you you know, it, it would only be tough if there's an opportunity 
I guess if you see him in another uniform, um, you know, again, that's not a North Dakota State or something like that. I think that, that that's always, I think, frustrating for fans. But it's the way the world is, right? The, the transfer portal and being able to do stuff right away and all that, I think, is only going to uh, obviously increase uh, people's opportunity and a chance for those guys instead of, you know, you transfer down, the old rule was you could play, but if you transferred up, you had to sit out. Well, now you can transfer up and try to see um, what he's able to do. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on the portal, just like we did in basketball. We'll keep there's, there's Oh, portal watch. i got to find the bumper again. Yeah, we'll have to get the portal watch. I'm trying to find uh, – there's not – the D1 transfer that the portal watch does in basketball is incredible. Yeah. Football's a little tougher. I'm, I'm trying to uh, corral. I know there's uh, about half of VMI's team, and that's really because they don't have – you know, a lot of grad school. There'll be some Furman guys, same thing. There's some Wofford guys, same thing, just because they don't – Furman has limited grad schools. There's not a lot. Wofford College, right? There's very minimal grad school opportunities there. VMI is zero. So there's a lot to kind of uh, keep up with. And so we will try to do the best we can there with obviously a slant on ETSU and their – uh, situation with Travel Portal and, and the coaching search. So next week we'll uh, or Thursday maybe we'll go over your uh, your thoughts on the coaching. Oh, I'm excited! And then we're going to get your thoughts on my thoughts. The best. All right, we'll go uh, next. What do we got? Uh, the bold uh, recap. We'll do that after this timeout. Sando Sidekick on the Bucketers Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Shohei Otani has taken the MLB by storm this season. He's the first player in MLB history to be selected to the All-Star Game as both a pitcher and a position player. You're grinning in your ear over here. You can't wait to tell me what I've not got right. Well, let's get the unfortunate stuff out of the way first. I said on the NDSU game that it would be a one-score game. I was trying to follow the math that worked out well against Vanderbilt, which I was wrong, but I was superstitious about. We won by 20. I thought we could pull an upset. Unfortunately, it did not happen. ETSU perfect in the red zone and 23-plus points. Um, obviously, didn't get the 23, so that parlay that I kind of had did not work out. And then forced three or more turnovers. That did not happen. You had... Tyler Rydell, three passing TDs, defense two interceptions, 33-plus 
in terms of time of possession for ETSU. I didn't look at the time of possession. It was flipped at 33. Okay. Yeah. So we went 0 for 3, uh, both of us there. Um, you've still got 13 right, and I've got 4 right on the year. Long-term bowl predictions. Boy, were you so proud of yourself the entire season that you're going to get 62% completion percentage or better from ETSU quarterbacks. And while it was a heck of a year, a heck of a year for Tyler Idell, he finishes, as a matter of fact, above 62%, but the team and Brock Landis go a combined 4 for 11. Now, I'm actually even including your Nate Brackett one with Rydell. So Where's my team 0 for 2? Can, can I ask who, who team threw 2? Take it up with the stack. Guys. I am going to take you. it up with the stack, guys. Please do. Gonna, uh, now, if the, if, ooh, I'm going to do the math. 62.4. I think quick. it might, honestly. I oh. think it might. 62.4% for Tyler Rydell. Brock Landis, 44.4. Those were all from, I think, the, it was a non-conference game, either Delaware State or UVA-wise. Where he went four for nine with interception. 0 for 2 team. Nate Brackett gave you a 1 for 1 on that fake punt. You can use the calculator on that. You're not going to be able to do that math by hand. Get out of here. You got the calculator, right? What do you need me to add? I'll add it for you. What is it? So uh, you just it. want the two incompletions taken out? Yeah, so it would be 216 so divi- 248 248. divided by 348. Here we go. Here we go. Survey says ah! 62.3. Come on. Nope. I'm getting, no, no, no. I'm going to ask how the – how does the team have 0 for 2? I'm going I'm to get that. I'm going to get that. That's going to be changed. We're tabling it's this. We're changed. tabling no. this. You already admitted that if I get that. No, tabled. I didn't say that. No, it's I didn't tabled. say that. It's it's tabled. Tabled. How do you have two? I believe they give team incompletions on spikes. Do you remember any time we spiked the ball this year? Yes. Okay, so I think that I remember looking one game. It was a home game. I can't remember who it was against, but I looked and I was like, oh, okay, so they don't yes, ruin yes. my completion we, percentage. We, we do, but it. Oh. Or maybe you're paying off the stack guys. I mean, that sounds more likely, right? So they don't ruin Jason Sandos' shot at a bowl prediction. Well, well they did. 0 for 2, well, 61.7. Ouch. Tabled. Oh, it hurts. This is tabled. Um, what else? The college football playoff. Who are the teams that are in? Oh, gosh. I almost got that team. Auburn, what are you doing? Auburn had Bama beat. I had Clemson and Alabama both not making it. And Auburn blew it. Three SoCon wins by more than one score. I'm pretty sure I said just three wins overall. No, yeah, unfortunately yeah, yeah. you did not. I said uh, four TDs in a game by any buck. Did I get two on that as well? Boy, I was close. I got one and two. Yeah, you on, got two. Yeah. I got one and two. Of the Welcome to my world, Jay. I mean, I've been oh. missing ones by a yard, by a point. Uh, what did you long. have? Four TDs in a game by a buck. I think we, we got three, yeah, like six or seven times. times right. Felt like a lot. Uh, Tennessee has three wins or less in the college football Ooh. season. Iowa we State, weren't near that one. Iowa State makes a college football And playoff. you weren't near that one. <laughs> not a one so show out. One yard. Our predictions do not quite work out. Sad day for both of us. Uh, but it was a great football season. I enjoyed every second, specifically for the Bucs. Uh, football is just different. You know, football is fantastic. There's so much that goes into it. Certainly work-wise, preparation-wise, coverage-wise, but I think you and me, I don't know how you did this job without it for 11, 12 years, because it is one of the highlights of covering ETSU athletics. Love everything else, it's great, specifically, you know, men's basketball, women's basketball, all that. Football kind of brings it to a different level. Congratulations to the Vox, and what a season. I wish it was still going, but I'm going to think back on this one fondly for a long time. Agree. This is one of those we're going to live and talk about, the 30 and 4, the 2018, this one. We will talk coaching uh, searches, hires, things, speculation. We'll also too. talk basketball. We'll do that coming up on Thursday. Of course, ETSU Miss Basketball Night at Torcon A&T. You'll be on the road Thursday, Jacksonville State, and Saturday, ETSU versus UNCA. All that and more, Buccaneer Sports Network.